Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. I'm Sean Duffy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. One state with some of the highest poverty rates and lowest test scores in reading and math is moving in the right direction. It took a village and some money, but kids in Mississippi are giving the whole country hope. If we stick to something long enough, we can change America. We can change the world. And we're doing that one day at a time here in Mississippi. I'm Dave Anthony. The military is struggling with recruiting. So it's increasingly reaching out to immigrants in the U.S. legally. I like the example they set, newly arrived people in this country willing to serve their country, not to just take the entitlements and the privileges and the benefits that come with living in America and actually serve and actually earn some of these privileges. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Last fall, we got the test result scores from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and they were bad. After more than two years of COVID at that point, which included months of lockdowns and remote learning in districts across the country, the nation's report card showed average reading scores in fourth and eighth grade went down by three points compared to 2019. Math scores in fourth grade were down five points. And among eighth graders, math scores decreased by eight points, the most dramatic declines in decades. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona told CBS last October 25th, the scores were unacceptable and appalling. We've lost our spot. We have to work. Uh, to make sure that our students here in the United States are number one again in the world. That's what we should be aiming for. Remote learning and learning loss during the pandemic seeped into politics. And in 2021, a Republican running for governor in Virginia won after his campaign largely focused on education issues, parents' rights, and COVID-era learning policy. When the nation's report card came out, Governor Glenn Youngkin said, We must acknowledge the glaring reality that we face together. Our nation's children have experienced catastrophic learning loss, and Virginia students are among the hardest hit. There were some bright spots, however, and one state has caught a lot of the attention, Mississippi. Previously, with some of the lowest test scores, the state moved closer to the middle of the pack. And according to the New York Times analysis of the data, among just children in poverty, Mississippi fourth graders now are tied for best performers in the nation in the report card's reading tests, and they rank second in math. A Harvard economist told the Times, the most important lesson here, you cannot use poverty as an excuse. It's so important, he said, I want to shout it from the mountaintop. So how did Mississippi do this? Yes. So in 2013, Mississippi started passing laws that would help educators in the state as far as classroom reading instruction when Erica Jones is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. Uh, one thing I know is that for several years, our test scores just really lagged behind the nation's test scores and reading. So our educators in Mississippi worked with our Mississippi Department of Education to really start researching the science of reading to get us moving in the right direction. Yeah, so we're, we're all hearing about this story of Mississippi improving these reading scores pretty dramatically. 
um, because of this New York Times piece that highlighted it, it sounds like it took, as to your point, money. A CEO retired to his home state and he started a reading center. This bipartisan agreement to fund education and implement some new rules and a new state superintendent at that time back in 2013. And all of that sort of led up to this moment of these higher scores. This took years, right? That is exactly right. I was a second grade teacher at the time, and I just remember thinking to myself, wow, are we ever going to be able to move this needle? I taught first grade for nine years, and then I moved to second grade. And as you know, first and second grade are really the foundational grades when it comes to reading instruction. So firsthand, I knew what our students were struggling with, and I knew that this was going to take a lot of work. And I was just so very grateful to recently see and hear the news that we had moved the needle because I know how hard it was being in the classroom. We've read also that part of this success is that there was this focus on the science of reading, right? Phonics. I'm sure Miss Rachel on YouTube would be thrilled if she's hearing our discussion right now. Um, but I, I was talking to one of my bosses about how incredible this story is. And he was like, how did we get away from phonics to begin with? You know, as 80s kids, that's what we learned. That's how we learned this idea of, of sounding out the letter being so important to reading. How did that how did that shift, as, as you recall, being a first and second grade teacher at that time to remembering those basics? Absolutely. I remember how important fun it was, especially <laughs> in my own education. And as a first and second grade teacher, you know, fun is just the foundation of teaching students to read. So during that time, I can recall being in my classroom and we were hearing all of this new language, our whole word recognition, those concepts. And it seems as if we were moving away from phonics. But in 2013, that's when we really started to look at the science of reading. And as you all may already know that when we talk about the science of reading, we're talking about the evidence of what matters and what works in literacy instruction. Research shows us that phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension, we call them the five components of reading. Those are the items that are needed to really get reading instruction moving in a classroom. And it appears, Erica, that math scores are going up as well in the state, maybe not as dramatically, but I wonder, is do you think that's connected? And maybe this is sort of a gut reaction response from you, but do you think it's connected to either having more confidence in the ability to learn because you can read? Or is it maybe better comprehension of word problems? Is it all of it? Like, what do you think is going on? I absolutely believe it's a combination of both. Uh, one thing I know as a second grade teacher is that when our students struggle to read, they struggle in other areas as well, because reading is a component that goes across all subject areas, such as history, science, as well as mathematics. Yes, our mathematics scores are starting to move. You mentioned the word problems. We know as elementary teachers that if our students aren't able to read, they're not able to read and compute those math word problems. So yes, we feel that improved reading scores impact our math scores as well. You know, one of the things the Republican-led legislature got through in, in 2013 was something that at the time I, I read was controversial, the third grade gate. You'd be held back if you couldn't pass a reading test out of the third grade. It sounds like instead of being daunted by that or calling it unfair, it sounds like Mississippi teachers sort of accepted this challenge and they were willing to, you know, be held accountable and strive for that excellence. Did you get the sense at that time that that was what the response was? No, not at the moment. 
in 2013, <laughs> I remember being in my classroom thinking, what else? What else is going to come down the pipeline? What else are we going to have added to our plates for one additional task as an educator? And so now when I look back over it and I think about it, uh, those laws that were implemented in 2013 were very helpful in getting us to go in the right direction. As a second grade teacher, uh, I questioned the reading gate if it would be used for the right reasons. And now that I'm looking and reflecting back over that, I do see that that reading gate did help our focus and help to move our reading scores. Wow. You've said you want to share how you guys did this with other struggling states and districts. And, and that's wonderful, right? But it can make some of us with small kids, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, it makes us wonder, you know, a little bit about what happened. Like, did our education system take a step back somewhere along the way in terms of how we teach? You know, whether it was Common Core or watching all of these political fights between teachers unions and boards and parents and things getting political. Did some? Did we lose something along the way? Did we lose the basics along the way? And you guys are, are coming back to that. As a K-2 teacher, I often joke with my colleagues, hey, and we stick around just a moment, this will be gone too. So <laughs> we would joke that, we would often joke that, you know, this is just a phase we're going through. Uh, it'll go away, but now that I've uh, had an opportunity to, to work, it shows that using the science of reading is absolutely the best thing that we can do in our educational system, especially when it comes to reading. Uh, I know a lot of fads and trends come along, but this is something that we really need to look at. It's research-based. Uh, we can look at evidence as we use the information inside our classrooms. Just a couple more for you. You know, it's a very political time in education right now. Um, a lot of Republicans get mad at teachers' unions and say that things are n not being properly taught in the classrooms. You have a, a lot of um, Democratic-led cities and Democratic-led uh, unions saying, we need more resources. You know, COVID really did a number on us. You see the, these competing narratives and this fight. And at the end of the day, it it seems like sometimes what gets forgotten is you just want your kids to learn, right? And and, and so all of this can end up being noise. Um, but the basics are so important. I mean, what do you say? What do you make of the politicization of education right now? So this is what I have to say, and this is what I think. Nothing replaces a trained educator in the classroom. We know throughout the pandemic, we had our kids at home with us. For me, I had, at the time, a kindergartner, and I also had a son that was in seventh grade. I'm an educator. Their father is an educator. And it was difficult for us. So we can only imagine how difficult it might have been for other homes that were experiencing some of the same things we were. But what I do know, having trained educators who are willing and flexible and willing to embrace different methods to deliver instruction is where we need to be on that issue. We must continue to support support our educators, not only in and outside of the classroom, but be there as a community rallying around our students. What we know about our schools, more than likely our students and communities are attending that local school. So why not help that educator in the classroom out by being supportive, by allowing them to learn different methods to teach so that we can get the best results. Finally, Erica, you know, this is an emotional story for people. Um, 
and it might feel dramatic to say this, but I'll say it. Um, this is the kind of stuff that you think about, you know, that, that can save a country, you know, well-educated, empowered, younger generations who are not stopped by, you know, a lower socioeconomic status. They met teachers who cared and they learned. And, you know, we talk politically about, you know, competing with China and India and the importance of STEM, but it would seem this is where that starts, you know, teaching kids how to read and how to love learning. This is emotional for me. I recall traveling to other states and once someone learned that I was a teacher from Mississippi, you immediately see the facial expression change. And for me, now being able to share what we're doing here in our state means the world to not only to me, but to the educators who are in the classroom each day teaching. Uh, what we do know and what we've learned is that if we stick to something long enough, we can change America. We can change the world. And we're doing that one day at a time here in Mississippi. One kid at a time, one sentence at a time. Erica Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Uncle Sam wants you. If you are an immigrant in the U.S. legally and qualify to join the military. The military has a long history of uh, bringing in folks who came here legally and served for an extended period of time, were willing to die for this country, uh, and then swearing them in as citizens. But Republican Congressman Michael Waltz, who was an Army Green Beret, tells Fox Business he's wary of a new program allowing some recruits who finish seven weeks of basic training to become American citizens. In the past, you have to do a full enlistment. You have to serve honorably. Uh, and, you know, this gives me real pause and concern to to look at the timeline here and think just a couple of weeks. Uh, and then secondarily, we can't slap a Band-Aid on this sucking chest wound that is our recruiting crisis for our military. The Army, the Navy, and the Air Force all falling short of their recruiting goals this year. Since 2018, when the Army missed its recruiting goals, recruiting has been a challenge for the military every year since. Retired Army Lieutenant General Tom Spohr is now the director of the Center for National Defense. In 2022, they missed their goals by a lot, and they're shaping up to miss them again in 2023. We'll get to the, some of the reasons you think that this is happening in a moment, but let's focus on going for recruits who are legal immigrants. Is this a good strategy? I think so. I don't think in this environment the military can afford to not try anything. And this is a way, I mean, the military has historically recruited from people that are newly arrived in this country, again, legally. And so I think it's a good way now. We, you have to be careful with a couple things. One is they have to have a pretty good grasp of English. So the military is not set up to train people in how to speak English. So they have to have that. And they also have to be able to pass a background check, if you will. So they need to be able to trust them with the nation's secrets after a while. But assuming they meet those criteria, I think it's a wonderful idea. Now, when you're going after the legal permanent residents, the Army reestablished a program for that back in October of last year. One really nice lure is the acceleration to maybe become citizens, right? 
Yeah. I mean, so they get on a, a quicker path, if you will, the fast lane, the express lane towards a green card. And then perhaps after that, they can get, you know, the permanent U.S. citizenship. That's obviously a longer and harder path. But I think that's certainly within the grounds of possible. Yeah, I think the Air Force had something like 14 cadets graduate from basic training and sworn in as new citizens. So certainly they would be eager to be members of the military. And and you certainly need that, right? You need people who want to be there as opposed to those who, it was a last resort. Oh, I got to better join the military. I have no other prospects. Yeah, no, people that are motivated to be in the military are much better service members than people that have been forced there. So yeah, we seek people that are motivated to join the military. What other positives do you see from this? I like the example they set, newly arrived people in this country willing to serve their country, not to just take the entitlements and the privileges and the benefits that come with living in America and actually serve and actually earn some of these privileges. The demonstration of that, it obviously helps the military with a manpower situation that they have right now. And frankly, people coming as legal immigrants bring a different perspective sometimes than the normal people in the military, and they may have different talents and languages that the military may be able to use without having to go through expensive training. They may already bring those languages to the force. And I know that the the military is going in inner cities into different neighborhoods. They are producing pamphlets and social media in various languages. So this sounds like a pretty comprehensive approach. They're doing all kinds of things right now. The military is offering big bonuses. They're offering people the choice of where they're going to be assigned. They're doing all kinds of things. I see this as just one tool in a vast toolbox to help make these numbers for the military and bring our military back up to strength. Earlier this year, the U.S. Army brought back an old campaign with a successful old slogan. We bring out the best in the people who serve. Because America calls for nothing less. So you can be all you can be. 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 But making the new outreach more difficult, fewer young people qualify these days. The number used to be 29%. Only 29% could qualify. That number has now gone down to 23%. The biggest drivers of people being unqualified are obesity, uh, mental health, of physical fitness and low test scores. So all those things combined to make the pool of qualified applicants much smaller than it has been in the past. There's reasons why they don't take people that may have shoulder or knee or hip issues, and they also can't take people that are very much overweight. And so there is a kind of a smaller population that fit those categories. Now. What about the mental health aspect of it? How? What do you have to do? How do they determine whether you're fit or not? It mostly about are you uh, currently under treatment or have you been under treatment very recently? And so if you had an incident when you were, you know, very young, you know, let's say 12 or 13, that's not going to be a big deal. But if you were seeking help for a a mental issue and it was last year, that's going to be a much bigger issue. And it's going to be even particularly harder to get in if you're on medication or just were for those mental issues. There's criteria for all these types of things. So it has to be a diagnosed mental illness of some kind for the military to say, you know, we just can't take you at this moment. What about if you've had any run-ins with the law? Yeah, great question. And so again, case by case, traffic tickets, misdemeanors generally, not a big deal. Violent crimes, that's going to probably be a no-go. Any sort of violence, that type of thing, which, you know, reflects an inability to kind of follow the rules of our society, 
that's not going to work in the military. So again, some of these things are waverable. Drunk driving would be one of those kind of things in the middle where somebody would have to look at it, see the circumstances and see whether or not you're going to be able to work out. Another thing, I saw a piece that you wrote that was on the Heritage Foundation site. The rise of wokeness in the military. Some conservatives who are thinking the military is going a little too liberal or too left wing. Is that a potential for someone to say, you know, I don't want to be part of that? Yes, it, it most definitely is. You know, what we don't know is the percentage of people that that dissuades from joining the military. But many of these kinds of factors are contributing to people not being, you know, joining the military. And some of it might not just be the young person. It could be their parents or their influencers, like their grandma or their uncle saying, I don't know why you'd want to join the military now. They're gripped with this, you know, political correctness and wokeness. What exactly so, are we talking about here, though, General? Yeah, and so an overriding emphasis on political issues versus war fighting. And so, for example, you know, some of the military services have chosen to prioritize diversity over qualifications. And so in the Air Force, for pilots, you know, the Air Force is making a very deliberate push to get people of color as pilots, whereas in the past it was really who who has prior flight experience, who would be the best pilots by virtue of kind of tests and test scores and experience, that turns off a lot of people. Have other standards lowered, though, over the late, last couple of years? I'm not aware of uh, standards being lowered for women. Now, standards in general... Physical fitness standards generally? Yeah, that is one. The general physical fitness test, for example, in the Army, they have altered it, lowered it, you could say, because so many people were not passing it. Okay. Um, I can't really rationalize that in my mind. There have been people who have complained that there is in the military a push for them to have classes, teach them about inclusivity, about pronouns, about the right way to address somebody. And I know for some people on the right that that goes along with the wokeness. What would be wrong with doing that? You know, this is this is one of these areas where you have to actually look at the specifics. So in the Air Force Academy, you know, they were training people not to use the terms mother and father. That seems wrong to me. But on the other hand, you know, coming up in the military, as I did, it is useful and necessary, I think, to train people on prejudices and biases and to make sure that everybody gets treated equally. I think that's important. The difference is when you step over the line and start catering and addressing you know, political movements in our country versus actually treating people with respect. The military is known for treating people with respect and has been the, the leader in civil rights in this country. But when you start catering to, a, you know, a progressive or political move in this country, like asking people what their pronouns are, I think that goes a step far. Is part of what's happening with the military generational? We're a long way away from World War II when everybody knew somebody in their family or in their neighborhood who went to war. Many of them died fighting or knew someone who did. Now, we don't have a lot of families who had someone who served. And it's not just, you know, well, my dad did and his dad did, so I'm going to do it. It's less than for that now, isn't it? I mean, you're exactly right. The percentage of veterans in American society continues to go down as a result of the big bubbles from World War II, Korea, and Vietnam slowly departing our society. The, the number of veterans in American society goes down by about 1.5% every year. And so young people, over time, have less and less exposure to people that served in the military and can tell the story of what the military did for them. 
If someone wanted, they're, they're on the fence, they're not sure if they want to join the military or not, or they have someone in their family who's considering it, they're almost done with high school. Give your pitch. Why should they join? People that join the military, it's statistically proven, come away stronger and better citizens. They vote at a higher percentage. They're physically more resilient and mentally resilient. They're better citizens. Private, for many, this is important, private sector companies look for people with military experience because they know they're going to have self-discipline. They're going to come to work on time and do the work that's required of them. And they have leadership skills that allow them to move up in private companies faster than people that have not served in the military. Retired Army Lieutenant General Tom Spohr, also director for the Center for National Defense. Thanks so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Gianna Gelosi. The body parts of a Russian tourist who was videotaped being eaten alive by a shark were recovered from inside the predator's belly after it was clubbed to death by beachgoers near an Egyptian resort. 23-year-old Vladimir Popov was caught on tape being attacked by a tiger shark last week and dragged underwater as he screamed for help. The shark was later caught, brought to shore, and beat to death by beachgoers. The shark was then dissected by specialists who confirmed the animal was the one that ate Popov after finding his remains in its intestines. That according to a local Egyptian news outlet. Officials say Popov Popov was swimming in the Red Sea at a beach resort. His father said they had gone there to relax. But the tide changed when that attack happened. The video recording shows Popov screaming, Papa, save me, before being dragged underwater. Witnesses say the shark toyed with the Russian's body for two hours after killing him. The death of the shark was recorded, too, with the shoreline mob clubbing the fish to death, ending with the cameraman posing for a selfie. Shark attacks are said to be rare in the Red Sea coastal regions, but last year, sharks killed two women just days apart from another tourist spot in the same region as this one. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. I've been saving the world for a while now on this podcast, and I'm ready to take it to the next level starting on June 26th. You can listen to me, Kennedy, five days a week right here. Listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? Donald Trump's only crime is being a threat to the swamp, the establishment, the status quo, and the Marxists on both sides of the aisle working to destroy this nation. Folks, another indictment for Donald J. Trump. He now faces 37 counts and a federal indictment related to his handling of classified documents from his tenure as president. The indictment alleges the documents were stored in a ballroom, bathroom, shower, bedroom, and office space at Mar-a-Lago. If only he would have stored those documents in his garage under the same roof as a known crackhead, or better yet, had the material stored on a private server in the bathroom before deleting and or bleach bidding and or smashing the heck out of said device with a hammer. Then maybe he wouldn't be in this position. But we all know it has nothing to do with the drummed up offense and everything to do with the fact that he is a conservative, a patriot, and a Trump. He is the first former president to face federal charges, but if you think he's going to tuck tail and cower, well, you really don't know our former president, Donald J. Trump. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren is Fearless at Outkick.com. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 